0: Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Over the past few weeks, we have been looking at the life of Christ and following his journey to the cross. The first week, We looked at the birth and childhood of Christ, and though we only get a glimpse, we saw a young man that did not allow his humble beginnings to dictate his future, because at 12 years old, Jesus knew what he wanted to do with his life, but for the next 18 years, he would have to sit on that calling and let God grow him. The second week, we fast-forwarded to when he was 30 years old, and he was about to begin his ministry as a rabbi. I told you that Jesus was prepared at the synagogue and at his baptism and immediately the spirit drove him out into the wilderness to be tested by Satan and I told you that the wilderness does not prepare you the wilderness tests you. Last week, we took a close look at the team that surrounded Jesus, the, the people that he recruited to be part of his team, his disciples. And, and these men were not the most educated. They were not the most adequate men for the job. But yet, Jesus chose them over others. And for over three years, Jesus mentored these men through messages and, and by miracles. And he taught his disciples to go out of their way to minister to others. On his path to the cross, Jesus exemplified servanthood Today, we will finally get to the cross. After four weeks, we will finally get to the cross. And, and we're basically going to cover the last week of Jesus' life today, which is still a lot, but we're going to get there. But I want to warn you in advance. I do not want emails. I do not want phone calls. I don't want you coming up to me in the line after service and, and saying you can't leave him there because I'm letting you know in advance That even though he is a resurrected king, today we're going to leave him in the tomb. I know that doesn't sit good with some of you. Trust me on this. At the end of the sermon, I am going to intentionally leave you wanting more. It's like the season three finale of Dallas, you know. Who shot Jr. The good news is most of us know the rest of it, you know. Uh, or, or the season one finale of Friends, do you remember that one? Remember the one where, you see what I did there? The one where Rachel finds out that Ross has loved her for years and she goes to the airport to greet him as he's flying back into New York. Uh, and, and you're just left with this cliffhanger of what is her response when he gets off the plane with a new girlfriend? You know, and it's like, whoa, a sitcom with a with a cliffhanger. You know, what happened there? Or who did Negan really kill at the end of season six? But here here's what I promise you. I'm not going to leave you for six and a half months until we finish this, okay? Next Sunday is Easter, okay? Next Sunday is Easter, and we will put a bow on this thing. We'll tie it up. It will be done next Sunday, okay? Okay? I I need you to look at me and, and say it's okay. We're going to leave him in the tomb today, okay? All right, all right. But we're going to get to the cross. You've been warned, so here we go. Today is commonly known as Palm Sunday. Today is the day that we celebrate the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem on Sunday before he is crucified on Friday. There was a little boy who was sick on Palm Sunday and and he stayed home. His mother was watching him so they stayed home from church and his father returned back from church holding a palm branch. And the little boy was curious and he said, Dad, why do you have that palm branch? And the dad answered, he said, you see, when Jesus came into town riding a donkey, everyone waved palm branches to honor him. So, today at church we got palm branches. And the little boy replied, he went, oh, shucks. The one day that I miss and Jesus finally shows up for church. Matthew chapter 21, we're diving right in. We've got a lot of territory to cover. Matthew chapter 21, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11, and let's read of that triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Verse 1 reads, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. visited Jerusalem in his lifetime and in his ministry here on earth. The Gospel of John mentions him visiting Jerusalem on four different occasions. The Synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke mention him visiting Jerusalem during his final days on earth. But as we've already read earlier in this series, Luke also mentions that Mary and Joseph took baby Jesus to the temple in order to present him to the Lord. And as we've already explored, Luke tells us the story of Jesus at 12 years old in Jerusalem where his parents found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions because that's how students would learn from their rabbis. They would listen, they would ask questions, rabbis would ask questions back, and students would answer with a question. It was an ongoing process. Luke 2 and 47 tells us, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And so at 12 12 years old, people are astonished. They're amazed at the answers that he is giving them. It's ironic that perhaps some of the very same teachers of the law that marveled at his knowledge at the age of 12 were ready to kill him at the age of 33 possibly some of the same men in the very city where he was approved at the age of 12 now they want to lynch him 21 years later but not yet not yet that's just a preview of this week's episode okay we'll get there in just a moment on sunday jesus enters jerusalem riding on a young donkey is what the bible tells us you see jerusalem was popping on that day it was it was a busy day. It it was Passover week, and Passover was one of the 3 main festivals during which the Jews would make a pilgrimage to the holy city of Jerusalem. During Passover, they would celebrate the Exodus, which was the liberation of the Hebrews from Egyptian bondage. And this was the first time that Jesus publicly embraced that he was the Messiah. Up until this point, just to his inner circle, just a few of his disciples, he had made it known to them that he was the Messiah that the Old Testament prophesied about. But up until this moment, he had never made it public. And now that he is riding in on a donkey, he is announcing it to the world. I am the Messiah. And that's why things are about to fast forward. That's why this would become the last week of his life here on earth. Because now that he has made it public and there's just no assumption to it, now they have reason to kill him. One of my most favorite memories with my kids was when they were young and we would go to Disney World. And we would spend the day at Disney World and when we would talk about leaving, the kids would say, no, we want to stay for the parade. You know, the Main Street Parade at the end of the night. They, they would always want to stay for the parade. And I, I love those moments with my kids because it just felt so magical to them to look down at their faces as these floats that light up would go by. But here's what always amazed me about, about the parades at Disney, is that my daughter, especially my daughter, when she was just a little girl, she would stand there and she would watch from the, the street corner there on Main Street and she would watch as these princesses would go by and, and they, would, they would look directly at her and they would wave at her. How these princesses always knew to blow her a kiss, I have no idea. But Kendall knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that that was directed straight at her, that they saw Kendall and no one else, never mind the 50 other girls that were within 25 feet of Kendall. In Kendall's mind, That princess was waving at her. And we love those times. Even though we were tired at the end of the day, we always love those parades. The festive week of Passover in Jerusalem would begin with a parade. They still have Passover parades. But this one was a little bit different and it was extra special. Because according to the Old Testament prophecy of Daniel the Messiah would be making his debut at this particular Passover celebration. You see, Daniel prophesied that 483 years after the decree would be given to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, that the anointed one, the Messiah, would show up. That after those orders were given, 483 years later, the Messiah would show up. Zechariah would prophesy that the Messiah would show up in chapter 9, verse 9, on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a donkey. Perhaps, and I'm just guessing here, but perhaps there were some people who had done the math. Maybe they had figured it out already and they knew that something special was going to happen at this Passover because it had been 483 years. This could be the day that the Messiah shows up and this could be the day that the Messiah sets up his kingdom. Remember now, they're under Roman oppression. And so if the Messiah shows up, no longer will we be oppressed by the Romans. The Messiah shows up, the Jews will now be in control of our land. And so Jesus sends two of his disciples to find the young donkey that he would ride into Jerusalem. Think about this for a moment, because this is not the way that a Jew would picture their Messiah coming into to town. Uh, it, it would be like going to the, the UF Homecoming Parade. And as you watch the homecoming court go by and you see, you know, nice sports cars, convertibles with with the with, with, with certain ones riding on the back of them, or you see these antique cars and, and, and there's certain parts of the party that are riding on there. But, but then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's time to see the king and the queen of UF homecoming. And, and when they come by, they're riding on top of this broke down minivan. Do you know how odd that would look to us? How strange that would be? Why was the Messiah riding a donkey? Why would the king of kings make his announcement riding a donkey? A donkey is not one of the most admired animals amongst God's creation, there were other animals that would have been so much more majestic. I mean, a king in that day and age, it seems like he would, he would ride a horse, right? A thoroughbred. But, but what you have to understand is that in many of the Middle Eastern traditions, that the symbolism of the donkey was an animal of peace. Versus the horse, which is an animal of war. A king would come riding on a horse when he was bent on war and he rode upon a donkey when he wanted to point out that he was coming in peace. 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 33 says that Solomon rode a donkey on the day he was recognized as the new king of Israel. His father David, we know, was a warrior king, a great military leader. But Solomon was going to rule differently than his father David did. He was going to rule a peaceful way. In First Chronicles 22 and 9, God told David, he said, But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon, and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. And so God told David, your son is not going to have to put up with the same enemies that you did. I'm going to give him peace during his reign. So David insisted that Solomon ride a donkey to his coronation ceremony, announcing, I come in peace. So why is it imperative that Jesus would ride a donkey also? Jesus was the Messiah And was about to save not only Israel, but all of mankind from our own sin. There is a war that is about to take place. A war that that cannot be seen with the natural eyes. But nevertheless, there is a spiritual war that is about to happen. The most important war that would ever be is about to take place. And Jesus, the Messiah, doesn't ride in on a war horse. He rides in on an animal of peace. Why? Because there was no need for him to be forceful. As a matter of fact, he would lay down his own life. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us the Prince of Peace entered Jerusalem not to take over the city, but to take on our sins. That was his purpose for coming to Jerusalem. That was his purpose for announcing, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. And the word began to spread that a a, a, a historic event was taking place and people started gathering on the streets to see it. And so when Jesus enters riding on this donkey, he is met with great fanfare. People are, 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 are there and they're, they're shouting. The crowd is shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They are shouting this. The Bible says that the crowd in front of him, they were shouting it. The crowd behind him, they were shouting it. Does he deserve it? Yes, absolutely. But does he need it? No. Not at all. The apostle Paul would echo this mindset in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10 when he said these words, he said, For I am now seeking, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Church, listen to me. Don't trust the crowd. In no way am I telling you to isolate yourself. But when people start building you up, don't trust the crowd because you don't need the approval of mankind. Mankind, they can be wishy-washy. Listen, I can be wishy-washy. I'm putting myself in that category. There's times when I like you better than I do other times. I'm just letting you know. I'm being very honest. There's times when you like me better than than you like me at other times. Depending on what the pastor preaches determines on whether you like him or not. Does it convict you? I don't like him. But if, it, if it's something you agree with and it's something you're already living out, oh, I like the preacher there. And so I've learned a long time ago... Don't trust the crowd. And, and, and to be quite honest with you, I don't need your approval. I need his approval. That's what's most important to me. And, and so, as you guessed, his week would not remain peaceful. This past February, Mandy and I were attending a seminar that we go every other month to, and actually, we leave tomorrow, and it'll be the last of, of this, the sessions of this seminar that we go to with Dr. Mark Rutland. But in February, um, usually I would, I would plan ahead and I I would book our hotel online. And you know, that's, that's usually how I operate at least a few days in advance to know where we're staying, to know we have somewhere to stay. But there, there's just hotels everywhere. at The two exits that are are, are near the place where we're meeting. And so I I just didn't, I just, it was a busy week and I just didn't get around to it. And so I, uh, I, we just went down there and drove down, attended our first sessions. And when it ended that afternoon, now we had to go and find A hotel, and and what I quickly figured out is that there were no hotel rooms available. There was no room in the inn for the McKinleys. There, There was there was not a hotel room to be found. And what we were informed is that it was Speed Weeks in Daytona and the Daytona 500 was the following Sunday. And so, we are on the, the east side of Orlando. Daytona has already filled up and everything down I-4 has filled up and, uh, and, and so we just couldn't find a, a room. And when we finally did find a room, it, it's more than double the price that it normally would be. That teaches me, doesn't it? So, we'll be back there tomorrow. Guess who went ahead and booked a room yesterday? You learn from your mistakes, right? The city of Jerusalem was overflowing with people there to celebrate Passover. There's no doubt all the hotels were booked. There's no chance that you're going to get a room if you're just entering in. You need to pre-plan if you're going to stay in Jerusalem. So Jesus stayed in Bethany each night. He probably stayed at the home of Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. Um, I, I would think that since they were from Bethany and they were good friends, that's probably where he and his disciples could could lay down at night. And, and, and you know, it's kind of something you can hold over somebody's head. You know, hey, I raised you from the dead. Can I have a you know, room at your house tonight? You know, it's okay. I'm going to be there for the week, by the way. You know, just, you know, <laughs> what? No, 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 don't, don't, don't make me. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll take you out right here, you know. <laughs> That's just me if I was Jesus, but I'm not, thank God. And so, they, they stayed in Bethany and they would walk the two-mile journey into Jerusalem almost daily. And at night, they would leave Jerusalem, leave the, the Passover celebration, and they would return back to Bethany, walking that two miles. So, on Monday, the Bible tells us that he would weep over the city and cleanse the temple on Tuesday, it teaches that, his deci- that he teaches his disciples a lesson on faith uh, through a, wig, uh, a withered fig tree that he had cursed the day before. And he shows them the next day, look, it, it's withered. You too can, can, can do amazing things with your faith. And then on Wednesday, Jesus stays outside the city and Judas and the Sanhedrin begin to plan the arrest of Jesus. And so now the betrayal is coming On Thursday, he eats the Passover meal with his disciples. He institutes communion in the Lord's Supper. He prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's there that he is arrested. And then on Friday, he is tried six times between the hours of 2 a.m. and 10 a.m. Six times he goes to trial. Three were religious or Jewish trials, and three were civil or Roman trials. The religious court found him guilty all three times, but the civil court, court found him not guilty all three times but the crowd that once shouted at the beginning of the week hosanna hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord that crowd that shouted that at the beginning of the week now that crowd is screaming crucify him crucify him and it just shows you probably the difference between the day crowd and the night crowd who's out at 2 a.m who's out in the early morning hours People that are looking for trouble and now they're shouting, crucify him. Listen, those who compliment you today, you just better be ready. They may crucify you tomorrow. Don't put your trust in the approval of the crowd. Finally, he is handed over to be beat and crucified. After he is beaten, crowned with a crown of thorns, forced upon his brow... Forced to carry his own cross. Finally, Jesus is crucified at about 9 a.m. 9 a.m. on Friday morning after being, going through six trials all night long. 9 a.m. they hang him on the cross. And for the next six hours, he hangs on a cross between heaven and earth. Now, this is where we've got to get really deep just for a moment. I want you to stay with me. In the Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 21, the Hebrews, the children of Israel, who were on they were on their exodus out of Egypt, in the wilderness, they are plagued by snakes. Serpents, fiery serpents, is what the Bible calls them. Many people die from the venom from these snakes. And God told Moses to make a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who was bitten would look up at the serpent on the pole and they would find healing. They would live. Even today, medical personnel use this symbol right here of a stick and a snake to represent healing. Modern medicine has taught us that sometimes You have to use the very thing that caused the illness to find the cure for the illness. This echoes God's word because it was the the serpents that were causing death in the Israelite camp. And so God tells Moses, you use that exact same thing. You make a bronze serpent, put it on a stick and raise it up above the camp. We will use the exact same thing that is causing death to bring healing to people. And modern medicine has echoed that. Because we know if you are bitten by a venomous snake and they have to give you the the anti-venom, they will make the anti-venom from the venom of the snake. How many of you in the room have had flu shots before? Let me see your hands. You had flu shots. I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong or not, I've, I've never had one. But from what I understand, the flu shot is made from a strand of the virus of the flu. So you're injecting the flu into your body in order to fight the flu. Moses had to beat the bronze to make it look like the thing that bit the people. God said, Not until you make it look like a snake. Not until you make it look like the very thing that caused the illness. Not until you make it look like that do you put it up. But once it looks like that, once you've beat the bronze and now it has become the snake, the very thing that has caused the illness, then I want you to lift it up high. Now, don't miss this. This is so important. Christ should have died on a whipping post. History tells us the beating that he took, he should have died on the whipping post. If any of you have have watched movies about the the crucifixion of Christ, you'll know how gruesome it was. This this was no ordinary beating. This wasn't just to bruise him. This wasn't just just to leave a few marks. When they beat him, they were beating him with with the the method of punishment. There was a cat of nine tails. And and, and on those nine tails, there were fragments of glass and bone and and, and rock. And it wasn't just to leave a bruise. No, when they were beating him, they were... they were trying to 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 lacerate him they were trying to pull away flesh from his body and so they beat him 39 times 40 minus one and the only reason they stopped there is because in the law Moses had wrote that you can't not you cannot beat a man 40 times because 40 times being beaten like that would lead to death and you can't kill And so they beat Jesus 39 times to within an inch of his life. They beat him. But with every beat, with every swing, with every laceration, he is starting to look more and more like the very thing that caused the illness in the first place. taking on the sin of humanity, becoming us so that I wouldn't have to take that beating. Just as Moses would beat the bronze to form the very thing that caused the illness, they would beat Jesus to form him into the very thing that caused the illness But it was important that he took that beating first because you have to be formed first before you can be lifted up. Don't believe me? Listen to John chapter 3 verses 14 and 15. These are Jesus's words. He said, "Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him." As he was beaten to a place that he was unrecognizable, Jesus became us, and we were the very thing that caused the illness in the first place. It was our sin that caused it. And when they lifted him up, anyone who looked upon him and called on his name was now healed of their sin. Church That is a reason for us to celebrate Palm Sunday right there. That he became us. He took our place. He took our beating and was lifted up so that he could bring a healing to our sin. And his last words before he died on that cross were, It is finished. John records that for us, tells us his last words, It is finished. These words usually carry with them a negative assumption like, it's done, it's over. And during our lifetime, we will experience it's over, done with moments. For some of you, it's a job. You know what it feels like to get the pink slip that signifies that you're being terminated, that, that it's, it's finished, it's over, it's done. Maybe it was a divorce or a relationship breakup. Somebody looked at you and they said, I'm done, I'm finished. Or you looked at someone and said, I'm done, I'm finished. Or maybe you had a loved one that was sick in the hospital and you get that phone call. It's finished, they've taken their last breath. And in our everyday situations, it is finished carries with it a negative end to something that has seemed to be so great. But it is finished can also mean it is accomplished, it is fulfilled, it is completed, the job is done, the work is complete. I imagine a, a painter standing back looking at his canvas, admiring the magnificent work that, that he has just finished, and he looks at it and he says, "It's finished. It's perfect. The job is done. There is nothing more that I can do to improve that painting." And with his last recorded words, it is finished. They were a direct response to his first recorded words in your Bibles at the age of 12. What was finished? His father's business was finished. Father's business was was me. The father's business was you. And when he bowed his head, and gave up the spirit at that moment, the forgiveness of sins was solidified for our lives. Oh resurrection is coming. We'll talk about what that gives us. But a spotless lamb by the name of Jesus Christ that pursued the path to the cross so that you and I wouldn't have to. And all that he asked is for us to take up our cross and follow him. And he completed the task to bring forgiveness to our lives, to be that sacrifice so we wouldn't have to be that sacrifice. It's finished. Father's business is finished. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.